blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. You are destroying the Constitution of the United States. May God have mercy on your souls. Good day. Yes. We could be saved if we just elected the right white man to power. That's creepy, but that's in a different category of creepy. Zitzu, zitzu, zitzu. Gary Geigers. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. You know what? Don't. Yeah. The less I have to do with that game, the better. Here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. Jughead, not Jarhead. I have nothing against Marines. I want to make okay. that very clear. I'd be really interested to find out what fucking truth that woman was trying to get at. And like with most episodes, I can bring it back to wrestling. Oh. Right, well, he's got other people who work for him who also do things. And, and they can okay. mutate okay. Uh, okay. human size into smaller worlds, after all. Fuck you. I still don't give a shit about getting fake property in a fantasy game. This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And um, the the biggest thing going on uh, in my life right now uh, that actually comes to mind as I'm speaking is um, today uh, was the first time in close to a year that um, I actually felt comfortable putting on my kilt. Um, not for any like dress code reason, but simply because I have managed to lose enough weight that um, when I put it on, I no longer look at myself and go, Oh, I lad, no, 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 bad. No. Um, and so that's a, that's a big moment for me. I've been working very hard, uh, to try to get in more exercise and cut, um, uh, sugar and <sighs> alcohol out of my diet. And, uh, so it has paid off. So that's, that's kind of a, kind of a brag for me, uh, today. How about you, sir? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California at the high school level. Uh, and my son decided to tell me right before bed that he has finally oh, no. started on a project that uh, I've been encouraging him to do uh, ever since I saw certain things on his search engine, um, uh, tabs that were open. Uh, they were completely innocent, um, but they were clearly exploratory as well. And so I had a talk with him about... Hey. Uh, what is good about what he is doing, what is natural, what is uh, what what he needs to make sure he doesn't do in terms of hiding things from me. Um, and okay. uh, and he. So, yes. 
Sorry, I just need you to be honest with me. Is sure. your son using black primer on miniatures? Is that is that what's going on here? Wrong kid. Uh, okay. So, right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, he he says um, he said a word that I was like, wait a minute, um, and it sent me spinning in a different direction. He talked about characters getting shipped, and I was like, wait a minute, are you reading the Aeneid? Um, turns out, no, uh, he's not. Okay. Where Dido yeah. and Aeneas were shipped. Um, but, uh, by Venus, but the, yeah. the first fanfic, if you will, but he has yeah. started writing his own fanfic as of today. He told me oh, right before okay. it was bedtime. And I'm like, Oh my On, God, that is awesome. Wow. I'm super On happy what? for him. I, I assume. What, and what and he gave me permission. Cause I asked him immediately. I was like, Hey, can okay, I share yeah, this okay, on yeah. my show? And he yeah. gave me permission. And, uh, he, I think it's Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my my son would would probably very much be eager to read that. I am too. Uh, I am too. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure. So you know, it's remarkable mm-hmm. the 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 kismet of that because uh, if if you look closely, you may notice we have a couple of people in this virtual room with us. Oh, we do indeed. Right now, uh, yeah. who who um, I have invited. Uh, to speak with us uh, on uh, none other than uh, fan fiction, um, and okay. I'm going to real quick uh, give them give them an introduction. Uh, the the first one is uh, a a very old, very dear friend of mine uh, who was a best man at my, my second wedding. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sean Smith, uh, who go ahead, Sean, let the people know your background, who you are. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Sean Smith, and the uh... Part of the background that I think can be useful here, at least, is uh, I'm very, very old, and I spent all of it on computers, and much of it writing fanfic. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, just for a little bit of additional depth on that, what what? Oh, I don't uh, do depth properties. Nice, nice, that's good. But uh, what? Back to Virgil. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what uh, uh, what fandoms have you primarily written in? Uh, well, let's see. Um, most active in X Files, going back, back to the '90s, and Quantum Leap, uh, mm-hmm. and then in more recent years, Harry Potter. Okay. And so, talk about one of those things that really can use the transformational power of fanfic. Oh yeah, Harry and, Potter. Yeah, we will definitely get into that. Uh, so glad to have you here, sir. And uh, the other guest has actually been on the show before mm-hmm. a friend of the show and a great friend of mine uh sadly former co-worker uh from a number of years ago uh tessa uh say hi tessa let us know what and what is and what is your your specific background in fanfic so Good. everybody knows so hello uh we're just doing the first name because i don't need any crying young minds trying to find anything more should they stumble upon this about my um, participation in internet subcultures but um i have spent a lot of my younger repressed figuring out uh, my queer self uh consuming a lot of fan fiction and um not a writer myself but doing a lot of uh, fan art and working with fic writers um, to either draw scenes or do collaborations um, as well as uh, some some better work. Awesome. Sorry, what work? 
beta work, which is something that we'll talk about at some point on the show, but it's okay. basically like an editor. <laughs> okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you don't want your last name of Rack will... being mentioned? Absolutely not, because okay. I will say the uh, fandoms that I am involved in or have been involved in, one of them is quite small. Um, and I am quite well known as an artist on there, um, gotcha. but um, definitely was in the very cursed fandom of Supernatural, oh. which ended in season five. And we'll never talk about any other part of it except for the one episode, the one season of the dicks. We'll, we'll let that one slide. Uh, the rest of it never happened, though. And um, also being very prolific in the carry on fandom. And I have started uh, illustrating for a new uh, anime that came out uh, called Buddy Daddies that has uh, absolutely annihilated me as a parent of a four-year-old because there is a four-year-old in it. Oh, so that'll just that'll just go past me. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> all, all right. fandoms. We're we're not using the last name. <laughs> okay. So very cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Ed, these are people that you brought to us. I know nothing of yeah. fanfic other than my understanding of what Virgil did. So. As my understanding, <laughs> and I gotta say, that is fanfic. I mean, that is that was yeah. state sponsored fanfic, by the by. Um, yeah. yeah, uh, um, because because it wasn't actually really Aeneas, it was actually it was Augustus, uh, uh, yeah. Augustus, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I had a complete brain fart there, but That's yeah, okay. and it's just basically, um, oh, whatever Odysseus did, so did Aeneas, so Odysseus, uh, did Circe, so did Aeneas. Odysseus went to Sicily, so did Aeneas. Like it's just it's over yeah. and over. Yeah. So it's um oh yeah. That, that well, was state sponsored fanfic. We've seen the Gulf yeah. of Tonkin uh, resolution, also state sponsored fanfic. Um, but uh beyond that, um <laughs> um oh, interestingly, the, the, the Betsy one thing Ross I would, would count you talking right? about. Uh yeah, well. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. All right, but I mean, that was that was an early uh, example of a flag, sure. Uh, in in fact, or I guess a tag of a sort. Um, but uh, the one thing I would add to what you were saying about Virgil and the Aeneid is, mm-hmm. uh, since it was actually really about Augustus, it was actually kind of a real person fic, uh, which is a whole other subgenre that's just oh okay deeply deeply weird. But um, at this point, yeah. Um, I'm going to hand it over, uh, to, to our invited experts. And, uh, specifically, uh, I think the, the best place to start, uh, would be with Sean, uh, because I know from the moment I mentioned to him that I was thinking about trying to do a show on fanfic. Um, he gave me a great number of resources, um, out of a fire hose. And, uh, I know he, he has been, uh, preparing assiduously for this. So I think uh, we'll probably start there. And then um, as we usually do when questions come up or we have, you know, things, things to add, we'll, we'll jump in. Um, so Sean, as our first expert up, please. Lead in with fanfic. All righty. Well, for everybody who um, either has, a highly elevated uh, literate taste in, in fiction, uh, or alternatively, um, you know, just tries to stay away from the weirdos on the internet, you may not know what fanfic is. A fanfic is a portmanteau of the words fan, fandom, fiction. 
It's a transformative new work written by a fan of an existing work of fiction that is based on that work. Basically, the good parts of this is that it can be a re recontextualization of that original work. It can involve genre shifting that out of what it had been into something new, or it can be straight up revisionist. And I know you guys usually start these things with the thesis statement. I'm gonna, you know, here's a thesis, and then I will lead into a, a bunch of evidence. And Ed, Ed does that because he's better organized. I usually oh. like give an entire episode's worth of history, and at the very end, and go, "By the way, here's the thesis." So, like, I mean, it is the Wait, goal Ed, to do that, but I I'm horrible about uh, Ed, about my background information. Ed is. Highly prepared. Yep. No, I said organized. There's a distinct difference. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, you had my heart going there, man. Fuck both of you. Don't worry, man. I just wanted to say, <laughs> like, as as much as I love the both of you dearly, fuck you. Anyway, it's okay. Um, I'm just here to ping off of whatever happens. So okay, it's perfect. Like it. That's and that's great. You touch um, brother deep inside, man. Yeah. <laughs> so so, but based on your your uh, definition there, would it be fair to say then that the Seven Samurai, uh, not Seven Samurai, uh, the Magnificent Seven, is fanfic of the Seven Samurai? Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, it's not even no. You know what? It is. I don't think it's even necessarily fair to say that. Because hmm. the problem, no, because the problem is. That one is fanfic all the way down to like the bottom of the ocean. I, I, I it, it's, it's, it, that one's even crazier than that. Um, there is actually more movies before <laughs> that, even that it was based off of. It is actually, if you go and check, there's, I want to say, 14 or 15 different movies that have each been based one off of the other, all the way through most recently, uh, Lucky Number Slevin, I think, was the most recent one. Oh wow! Really? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! No, I mean, that... I didn't see that one, but looking at the trailers, I didn't. I didn't immediately look at that and go, "Oh, that's Seven Samurai again." Okay, wow. Oh, that so movie, the movie Seven uh, was just the... fanfic of the Seven Samurai as well. Talk about a genre shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, mm. all right. It was head and shoulders above yeah. the rest, really. You know, Fucking... I don't know. All right, all right. What's uh, what's our uh, time? What's our goddamn time? <laughs> I don't know. This this room's been open for over an, over an hour, just in case. All right, fine. Yeah. God damn it. Sorry. All I yeah. can say is he was thinking outside of the box. That's right. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. And we're walking. We're walking. <laughs> okay. So. So yes, your thesis statement. It. I actually am definitely going to avoid that because I, I I thought it'd be really clever. I thought it'd be going you know outside of the box mm -hmm. uh, if I saved that till the end. Yeah. Yes, Ed. I went back there. Yeah. You, yeah. I know. Yeah. But good news. Mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I am very sorry for all of my sins. Okay. A little too far there. A little too far. Not sorry. too far. No. I got greedy. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start with the beginning and the the poor the, the poor, poor head. The er <laughs> oh, I get to torture Ed, him. It's great. Have a rice ball. Enjoy. 
avarice i'm not even pun. not even gonna no okay just no. all right retake number four <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you were saying i was saying uh we're gonna start at the very beginning of, of all fanfic and that is going to be the gold-pressed latin image of fanfic star trek yeah i know so if we go back to immediately preceding the the 60s to 1959 at that point in time we had people making 75 cents an hour in wage okay and in what it was 1959 was the uh, invention of the first popular version of a Xerox machine. Printing a page costs 25 cents. Okay. So a third of an hour's wage is to make one photocopy. One page. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it should be noted this the the, the, the Xerox 914 like is the kind of incredibly reliable machine that came with a built-in fire extinguisher. I'm pretty wow. sure we had one of those at a job I worked at in Seattle. Oh yeah, well I mean I, that sounds familiar to me from from an office job from a long time ago. But yeah, okay. Cool. In education, you guys have things like you know, cuneiform still in use. I would not be surprised. <laughs> this uh, this was this was oddly enough not an education job. But anyway, oh, carry on. So sorry. So we've got this, quite frankly, um, technological situation which you are not going to be making printings. Um, at the time, the the most popular method for published work is a version of the lithograph that is still in use today. Uh, and this is something that requires, quite frankly, a lot of setup. Um, it had been, up until a few decades before, movable type, which is the thing you always see people do if you see a movie and they've got somebody setting up a printer. they got the little metal blocks with... Uh, Letters etched on each one of them. Right. Uh, that was replaced with uh, etching the the entire text for an entire page onto a sheet of something. Originally stone, hence lithograph, but mm -hmm. didn't really matter. Etched onto something and then printing. Well, it meant that you had to make a master for every print. So was, if you're doing, um, you know, the Bible or uh, Doctor Zhivago or something, someone's going to go ahead and pay for all those, but if you wanted to print something for a few friends, not so much. Uh, Y'all have probably in your uh, education careers encountered the uh, mimeograph. Or am I the only old when, one here? No, when we, I uh, was... Uh, it's, it was, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, there's one in the corner for emergency purposes when the other two late, gener like four generations old, uh, machines break down and there's always that one teacher who still knows how to run the mimeograph um <laughs> and in my career we have seen both of those go away both the one who knew and the machine in that order let's be honest okay. they also enjoyed getting high on the mimeograph fluid could be that was why they learned how to use it mm -hmm. i mean Pre you know um i we had one uh my first semester of student teaching in the middle school i was at had one uh, that their secretary, I think, was a was a Mimeo Inc. addict because she'd be in there every morning running so much shit through it. So yeah, 
Well, oh, God. And that mimeograph was basically the the printing machine for the very first iterations of, of fanfic. You go to the mid sixties when we you know now get Star Trek on the air, mm-hmm. and you look at what's on the air with it. And um yeah, there's things like Bonanza, Green Acres. Got women on the show, but bewitched, Beverly Hillbillies. Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. This is not really if you were a woman at the time. You weren't looking at this and thinking, I see myself in this show, and this show is aimed at me. Hmm. Uh, no. no, not really. Uh, and it, that's just TV. If you if you wander over and look at like what you're seeing in movies, you're seeing uh, even more. Um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of brutal to, to look through and just see exactly how many movies didn't actually have female characters even talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the historical ones, you're like, oh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's Jason and the Argonauts. We don't really need any female characters in there. No. No. Medea is just a set piece. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Prop, and, really. Prop. Uh, and so this is the point where people started seeing. Uh, for all of his, quite frankly, tremendous and epic personal flaws, uh, Gene Roddenberry's idea of uh, what a story should be and what a, a society should look like, and it involved women on the bridge, involved people of ethnicities who were not approved of the time on the bridge, and involved it originally re- involved unisex uniforms. It originally involved mm-hmm. unisex uniforms. Yep. Before the uh, the studio got involved, it involved uh, a a woman as the uh, first officer. They actually that yeah, was one of the there. exactly that was a, one of the first things they said. Oh, okay, first things you got to do here is you got to make sure you got <laughs> there's way too realistic. Gene, Gene, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, no, but no. but she she yeah. has authority and, and is competent. I oh. right. Nobody's, gonna, the, nobody, nobody's gonna want to watch that. No right. man, come on. Yeah. For listeners uh, who have come to the show in the most recent 100 episodes, if you go back to uh, episodes 93 and 94, you will find uh, Star Trek, the original series, Gene Roddenberry, a utopian fuckboy, um, and uh, enjoy the heck out of those episodes. I, I did, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really thought of using that phrasing until I heard you say it, and then I was yeah. like, I'm going to be stuck with that for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. So that's episodes welcome. 93 and 94. So enjoy. Yeah. yeah. And, so back uh, to back to back good to old Gene. Yeah. Back to good old Gene. Gene does his thing. And uh this is kind of the part that I find a little bit wacky. Star Trek comes out in 66. The first of the Star Trek fanfics, Spock and Alia, was published in 67. It was literally uh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it was crazy. Um now uh, unfortunately I am old enough and decrepit enough to remember some of the there really weren't the kinds of um, abilities to choose what was on TV that you have now or even what you had in the 80s Uh, I came to my Star Trek fandom because of my Uncle Mike and he had one of the second generation VHS VCRs. 
um, that was about the size of a backpack. Uh, and top loader, right? The like big the top loader snapped down. Yep. 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 Did it? And did it have space for two cassettes? It did not did have you, space. For, oh, okay. All right. But did it no. have wood paneling? Uh, no, no. It oh. was. It, it had the. Uh, it was the uh, Japanese import, so it had the uh, uh, bamboo uh, paneling. Actually, I was going to say ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous silver finish they seemed to like at the time. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Clearly spray paint. Um, and uh, no, he had gone through and taped off of TV uh, the episodes because at the time, even going into the 80s, uh, you couldn't buy tapes uh, of Star Trek. That wasn't, or any TV show. If you wanted to see a TV show, you turned on the TV and whatever they had. That was what you watched. Uh, and so in that environment, moment that Star Trek was on the air is great, but mm -hmm. the moment they went on hiatus or, or you know, put anything else on, you were done. Right. It was a thing to go and buy um, copies of the scripts just so you could read reread the script that you had originally liked. Wow. And I remember tables full of, of old uh, paper scripts as being a, a thing to be sold. I think my first experience with fanfic was walking over to one of the tables full of um, kind of mid-purple mimeographed copies and going, ooh, I'd like to read this. And having the uh, vendor reach out and go, uh, that, maybe that side of the table for you, kid. This side of the uh, table, not so much. Uh, but, and, Sean, why ever would that be? Well, some oh, can people... Can I chime in with this, the year? Oh, please. Because in 1977, we had the very first Flash fic ever written, also in the Star Trek fandom, and it was a women love women flash fic written by a female author. Did you say and slash? It's just slash fic, which is something we'll be talking about more in depth. But a flash okay. fic is essentially like the early term um, for a fan fiction that had a romantic. Uh, plot line and a romantic um, connection between two characters, which generally took a more erotic turn mm. at some point in the story. Hypergraphic note: It mean it's the the slash in between the two characters' names when you're trying to describe it, as in Kirk oh. slash Spock. Gotcha. And the slash Kirk being railed by Spock. It should be noted but by the, the way that the slash indicates sexual content, whereas the and indicates either just like romantic or it can also be like friendship and it's it's non-sexual gotcha that one comes later that that was yes. not that that those of us who are really old are like oh you you kids with your <laughs> yeah that came later but that's why that side of the table was you got scared away from uh... that side of the table because there's other things that come up later on. Wait a minute. So is there other kinds of like punctuation to like clue you into certain things? Like, is there um, like if you're having sex with a chicken fic, fic it's like semicolon That's a tag. Fic? Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. There's there's tags for that. You kids with your tags. <laughs> In my day, we had Unix, Unix copy protocol and we liked it. Wait, they had like Unix having sex. I'm. We're not ever going to let Damien write in, fanfic, are we? No. In fanfiction, no, honestly, yeah. you could you could have that. I bet. In fact, I bet if I went on Ao3 right now, I could find it. So you know, it, well, uh, if there's it, ever what, a bonus round, I will I will find it. What is that? Uh, I'll what regret is that, uh, it. I'll find it. 
what is that uh, uh hbo uh jrr martin series that you like so much ed the hobbit he muted himself because he's swearing at me and so no i was rendered speechless <laughs> and you, you know, know I... how hard that is to do I, I think I think there are a couple of unit characters in that show, and uh, so I'm, I'm sure someone's done some. Stuff. I I I had actually picked up my phone to try to look up that. Without a wheel, whether, without a wheel of time, been done. You're, okay, see that you're not going to hurt me with because I don't give a shit about Robert. I mean, Jordan, are you just talking about Grey Worm? So no, and yeah, uh, like Grey Worm and and what was the uh, Andrew Varus? They no, didn't have Varys. sex. Not well, in the series. Not in the series. Oh, but, oh. but it is that... it is worth noting that George R. R. Martin has has made remarks about fanfic that are um not um that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, not complimentary. Gotcha. Not friendly. Gotcha. Um and and there there is there there are uh significant ongoing issues between many authors and the fans of their work who want to create fan fiction uh, because of the ideas these authors have about authorial okay. ownership, which it, of course we know means. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, also, I mean, let's be honest, George R. R. Martin has just got made a ton of money writing, uh, quite frankly, uh, Tolkien fanfic. So he can mm -hmm. just quite frankly, suck it sideways. Yeah. That's I'm sorry. Did I Tolkien, say. Tolkin were the roses fanfic, but yeah. For the, uh... I don't, people keeping score at home there are 224 fix with the unique tag you're welcome you're welcome thank you all right okay all right on ao3 on ao3 i'm sure i'm not going deeper than that but yeah, there's, say, there's more that's just on ao3 okay if there's a kink <laughs> for it somebody has probably written fanfic for it if, if there mm -hmm. hasn't if there isn't a kink for it after you mentioned it there is now right so the other part of this that i want to bring up as, as we're running, running through the timeline looking mm -hmm. at money, is 1970, which is right immediately after Star Trek goes off the air in 69. Mm -hmm. 1970, Xerox kind of gets a little bit more of their shit together. Printing prices drop from 25 cents to 3 cents. And now, what okay. happens? Fanfics and fanzines explode. Sure. And I, I mean that uh, metaphorically, not literally, they did not actually explode. They just got very. You bad. didn't. You didn't need a fire extinguisher for the copier anymore, right? Well, so not the new ones. Why anyway. they were able to save yeah. it down to three cents because you don't yeah. need to keep buying uh, fire extinguishers, propellant and, and yeah. retardant and all that. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, office workers, but yeah, that that works too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the the price of printing has dropped precipitously uh, in a very short time period, and with it, the ability for people to actually copy what they wanted went up mm -hmm. uh, you know if, for those of you who didn't have to make a lot of mimeographs as a kid um as as a mimeograph you know you can only print a couple of times you know actually I think it's a couple but a thousand times or so before the original goes away mm -hmm. and at the time what you'd have to do is retype everything <laughs> to create a new master so it was kind of brutal. Um, uh, so you could make a, a fanzine. You could, make a, you could have an idea, tell a story, put a story out there, go to a, 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 um, a, a, a one of the early Star Trek conventions and sell it to people to recoup the cost of making it. But you couldn't make very many of them. It was just mm -hmm. going to take literally all the time in your life to do it. 
comes 1970, you could just hit copy. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden things start changing. Uh, and they kind of kept going like that through the 70s uh, up until the end of the, the uh, what I'm referring to as the gold-pressed Latin Age of fanfic, uh, ending in 1979. And it's really fascinating, too, because when you look at – there's still, like, copies that are out there. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of the time what you had was that women were the majority of fan fiction creators and fanzine creators – they were also the least employed at the time. So they were dependent on the income of like their spouses. And oftentimes what you would see, and I, have to, I was trying to find the post and I gave up, but there are people who have copies of these original zines that have these, um, these, these like um, thank yous and acknowledgements at the beginning, um, much like books do, and actually is something that has carried into um, fic at, Still to this day, we still see authors um, giving acknowledgments to the people that um, help them. But in these early zines, what you would see are these women who were thanking their family members who, like their husbands, who financed these, like were willing in, you know, a time where we saw a lot of misogyny and we saw a lot of, um, you know, negativity towards the creation of women. These women uh, memorializing basically the support of their spouses and their family members that pulled together the funds to allow them to print these um, to be sent as well as the people that provided like the support and the editing and things. And so it was just really, really neat when you put it in the context of that time to understand how important it is for us to have this type of evidence of this creativity movement that got started because of the societal constraints that it was growing and flourishing in. Right and and the, the the depth of it is kind of quite frankly shocking to to read. Uh, if you go back to 1959, mm-hmm. only 37 percent of women were employed outside of the home. Those who were were earning 60 percent, roughly half of what a, a man in the same job would earn, and that was completely legal. Right? Quite frankly, mm-hmm. saying just flat out, and I'm only going to pay you less. Because you're a woman, would still be completely legal. Now, um, I'm I'm going to break in there for just a second. When you say thirty percent were working, was that the number? 30, 37. 37 percent. Now, is this of all women or of middle class white women? Because all. okay, because then you get into the racial politics uh, of what jobs are allowed to women, and you start to see that uh, the 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 work that a white man would do is worth a dollar. The work that a black woman would do would be worth fifty nine cents, and they're only allowed in certain jobs. Um, you get mm-hmm. servant class type stuff. You get things like that. So, like when we're talking about fanfic writers, where is this population coming from? Number one and number two, do we see uh, commensurate representation? amongst fanfic or is it still a very white thing with just a few people of color welcome to first wave feminism it's like a, <laughs> it's, it's it's a beta release of feminism right we do not actually support uh people of color or people who are maybe not binary or are not uh heterosexual in any lavender fashion menace if you will the lavender menace yeah. is all uns- is all unsupported in this release a future release is planned to support these additional features 
Uh, no, what you see is uh, white women. is white. Okay, there's middle class yeah, white women. It's okay. predominantly middle class white women. Which there will be like a couple, mm-hmm. but yeah, and it's, even yeah. now it's still very um, it's very fandom based. But I'll come back to it. It is yes. really fascinating though to see that part of mm-hmm. fan creation is sometimes creating representation in characters where there isn't representation, which is really neat, especially from the art. And I'm hoping I remember to come back to that. Oh, yeah. don't don't worry. I I have it's so many notes. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I have, this is like this is like my my meat and potatoes on this one. So oh. as as friend of the show, uh, Dr. Gabriel Cruz uh, has said a number of times, progress is a series of problematic steps forward. Yes. Um, so before we go uh, bashing uh, first wave feminism for not doing what third wave did, um, recognize that first wave came out of uh, zero. <laughs> um, in, yes. in terms of recognition, yes. so it was an important it's, and problematic thing. So it yeah. sounds like fic, fanfic uh, followed that same trajectory. A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. It, it should yeah. be noted that Star Trek was on the air, nineteen sixty six to nineteen sixty nine. Right. The Civil Rights Act that started the EEOC was only nineteen sixty four. It was only literally two years before that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it in other words, took the death of a president to bring it out too. Absolutely. Because well, that's how it, Johnson pushed it. He's like, hey, yeah. remember the, who died. And the death yeah. of a party in a region. I mean, <laughs> Kennedy pushed the CRA through, uh, and then Johnson, and there were multiple filibusters to stop him putting mm-hmm. the CRA through. And Strong even girl, that I think. Yeah. Mm, uh, there's a great song there. Uh <laughs> But as tepid as and weak ass as as the CRA is, as the bare minimum, mm-hmm. saying humans have rights, we'll, we'll push that. That was so far uh, right. a bridge that the Democratic Party in the South jumped ship and became Republicans overnight. Yep. Up at, up until '64, the South voted as a block Democratic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In every presidential election since the Civil Rights Act. None. Yeah. So, something about the current state of the party, but whatever. I was going to say <laughs> Virginia and Georgia um, and a few others had a few times where they did. Uh, Arkansas, yeah. another. Yeah. But, but never, yeah. never get a block of, of, of voting. No. no, never as a yeah. block. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I shouldn't say like it was like, and then no one ever voted for for a liberal ever again. Right. No, not that bad. But it is. Um, it's important too to recognize it because one of the things that was um like one of the big impacts of Star Trek outside of fan creation um was the fact that the civil rights movement leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. actually like reached out to Ahora or not Ahora, I'm like blanking. I'm Michelle, so Michelle bad Nichols. with names. Yeah. Michelle Nichols. I am like the worst with names. Um everyone just be aware of that right now i just remember like the characters but he like actively reached out to her and talked about how important it was to have her in a main character role stance and what message just her doing that role um gave to the community as a whole to society as a whole and and you know when you're looking at fan work and you're looking at the history of it looking at all of those pieces of nuance that are sitting there too are just it's there's it's so much even though it's like a lot of people will be like oh it's just star trek it's just you know sci-fi what it was doing so much work it was doing heavy lifting at so many levels mm-hmm. sure. yeah that was just you you wouldn't 
think about necessarily. Oh, it, it, so, and I mean, it's just yeah. it, the number of hits that Americans took in the 60s in terms of mm-hmm. the changes that were occurring, mm-hmm. how they were frequently violent or threatening, how they were scary, uh, and how they were upending things, including a lot of self-assessments. People, the the lousiest amongst us were upset that they weren't able to treat people uh, however they wanted because they were differently colored or they were women. The people who weren't just garbage were all of a sudden feeling really bad because wait, hang on, I was part of this? I, right. I did not know this. When did this happen? Uh, I mean, going down the list of the of just the changes in the women's movement over that time period. Mm-hmm. JFK is, is killed in 63. We get this uh, Civil Rights Act immediately thereafterwards in 64. Voting Rights uh, Act as well. Yeah. And the Voting Rights Act. Uh, but 65, so the year before Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Griswold v. Connecticut, the Supreme Court holds that if you add the first, the third, the fourth, and the ninth amendments together, you effectively have created a right to privacy. And that right. means that basically uh, the state has no right to tell two married people that they cannot use contraception. Right. Because until 1965, it was just sort of assumed that your state government could tell you what you could do in your marriage bed between a man and a woman too. I mean, right. like, as yeah, I, I like small government, just small enough to fit through the uh, the, the bedroom uh, door, bedroom window, yeah. bedroom window. Yeah. Uh, amazing. So sixty six, same year as Star Trek's uh, great uh, is uh, is first on the air. Betty Friedan founds the National Organization for Women. Mm-hmm. The following year. By executive order one one two four six, because they couldn't pass this through Congress because this was a bridge too far. Amazing again how minimal behavior is still too much. Executive order one one two four six bars government contractors from discriminatory hiring practices and establishes affirmative action, mm-hmm. saying you can't actually say these protected categories are reasons why you're not going to hire somebody and if you do we're not going to uh, uh give you a government contract right and and the best still part not is, taking private action but you know we're not going to give you government money right and the best part is is that um when people look at affirmative action uh the the lazy thinkers amongst the critics uh will speak to the racial stuff and not realize that the number one group of people who benefited from that were actually white women Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 67 strikes mm-hmm. down the ban uh, on interracial marriage, Loving v. Virginia. Please note uh, 1967. So put it this way uh, you know that, that uh, season of Star Trek with uh, where Chekhov wasn't there? Mm-hmm. That was 66. So after that, then you get Chekhov in the second year. That's the year they said, hey, you know what? It's okay for you to marry somebody even if they don't look the same as you. And what I love there is that Virginia puts on its license plates now, Virginia is for lovers. And I'm like, you can't do that. That's not... You don't, you don't get to... You don't get no, to do that. No. Like that. That's like yeah. selling like portraits that you painted of young men that you crippled with your own fake reasoned war. 
You like, do. I mean, imagine someone doing that. That would just be you understand. You understand that Virginia is one of the founding states of America, right? I mean, our number one export, you'd think, is guns and bombs, but no, it's not. It's hypocrisy. That's actually the number one export. Um, we actually uh, actually have a nice little uh, registration with the EU. Everybody else can't call it hypocrisy. It has to be here. They they have to call it sparkling uh, uh, double standards. Sparkling double standards. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. absolutely crazy how how this time when we're seeing people in space and we're seeing starships in our TV and and all this run and, by vacuum tubes. Run by vacuum tubes because the reality is it's far backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, loving V Virginia. Okay. So that's 67. Two years later, we put a man on the moon. Like, like, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you know, but now what, they're talking what... about putting people on Mars at the same time that they're talking about reversing everything that allows right. for all of these yeah. things. It's amazing yeah. how you can go forwards and backwards at the same time. Mm. <laughs> It, it's it's interesting to me that uh, this relates in my head to uh, what a uh, friend of the show and, and previous guest, Jason uh, Barger, told us, uh, is that you don't get punk rock in a society where everything is going great. Yeah, that's true. Um, you, you wouldn't get Star Trek in a society where everything was going awesome. And you wouldn't get fanfic of the kind you wouldn't see it show up the way it did in a society that didn't need for particularly in this case at this generation that we're talking about that didn't uh, uh, push an awful lot of mostly fairly young middle-class white women to see this, this, this show where they saw themselves and feel like they needed to they they needed to create something in this world, yeah, because of how it affected them. Yes, yeah. Um. So that I mean, that, from oh, go uh, no, no, from we, first get your get your oh, get your licks. I was in, gonna say that all. impetus toward art is is a real interesting. It's kind of like when you test for antibodies uh, to see if someone's been exposed <laughs> that impetus for art yeah, is, is like fascinating that. because what was missing that brought this art about what's going on, yeah. which is the thesis statement of our whole show. Uh, much, what's, yeah. what's happening that this art is being made at this time. Um, and that's, that is a wonderful way to look, um, at society is through the lens of, okay, we've cut out the stencil. That was that art. What was missing? What did that overlay? Yeah. Right. I, you know, I, I did have put a note in here in my in my notes. I put a sub note. It was explicitly for Damien mm. as a little gift. I know Ed is also a, a union rep, but I know union definitely your thing. Mm -hmm. Same here. So yep. mm. you got three right here. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh you're talking to the person who attempted to organize IT uh, workers and network engineers uh, 20 years ago to unionize. Yeah, that went that well. <laughs> the, 
the the impetus it's the was effort good. that matters. I do not care the result because you know <laughs> the results were not good. <laughs> yeah, I I I didn't really quite understand what the dead man zone and you know in between the trenches and World War One looked like until uh, <laughs> until I, you uh, started trying to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But okay, so this is kind of interesting. Nineteen twenty one is the formation of the Screenwriters Guild. And 1936 is the Directors Guild of America. When was the Hays Code? 38? In 38. Yeah. yeah. And so this is the part that's interesting, though, is this is a good generation after the, you know, 10, 12 years after the uh, start of, of the film industry uh, that these unions uh, are formed. And they're formed because that's the point at which the studio system is developed. Mm-hmm. The first iteration of movies were all uh, were all made by people, um, like a small business owner would any other business. Mm-hmm. Do you have some money? Okay, go get a camera and uh, go go make something, mm-hmm. uh, and then go sell it. And that worked great. And and then someone said, well, but if I just had a, a warehouse with cameras and, and props and stuff, I could just churn these things out. And uh, that works as long as you've got investment. And if you want investment, you get banks. The bank said, that's very cool. Um, who's the guy in charge here? And I, I say guy deliberately. They, they yeah, truly the studios in the 20s, what do you expect? Yeah. Uh, well, it, this is interesting. During the 1910s, directors were split 50-50 between men and women. I know, right? I thought Ed look up the... Yeah. I, women made up a tremendous amount of, of the creative uh, forces in what would later be considered Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once the business uh, and the finances came in, uh, the number dropped a bit. So here's where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, they did a really good job of playing the unions against their members. Uh, specifically, the studio said, well, you know, if you're going to try and protect these the, the rights of these uh, uh, women directors, women writers, I suppose we could do it, but that means we're going to pay you all the same. And, well, as I mentioned before, we're paying women half. And the, uh, the uh, uh, Screen Actress Guild and uh, Screenwriters Guild and Directors Guild both folded like a house of cards. Um, yeah, that myth so of the numbers... my own exceptionality is what's going to make me more than others certainly does yeah. weaken the unions. Uh, the, the space I would say that that did not work would be in the 1990s, uh, with lead, led by David Schwimmer. Um, he actually got everybody on the cast of Friends to agree we all get paid the same no matter what. And by the end of the show, they were each making a million an episode. And that I, I love that story as much as I think David Schwimmer, at, maybe he did a really good job of playing a tool, but I can never not think of him as a tool. But he unionized those six actors when How Jennifer Aniston unionizing easily, efforts went swimmingly. Oh, oh, sorry, I had yes. to there. Oh, thank no, you. That's okay, good. sorry, I'm done. No, that, that's, well, that's going to make our listeners Courtney Cox hard. Uh, uh. Can you can you say can you say it, Ed? Can you say it. Good day, madam. <laughs> Thank you. No, but anyway, like you do see, if if sometimes you see that that undergirding, like actually working. But you're absolutely right; it it did not work in the twenties. 
No. I was, I was going to say, by the way, if you wanted to look at that, at like what David Turner did, prior to that, look at Bob uh, Bob Denver and Gilligan's Island. Uh, you remember the cast was not exactly wildly large. No. Six uh, people. They're really – they're six people. Right. And uh, uh, Bob Denver was a, a big star. He'd been on uh, uh, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis mm-hmm. and uh, uh, was a riot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If a chance to watch this in black and white, it's a hoot. Uh, Won, he like, is three, a hoot. Three, three Emmys by that point, right? For mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain it's High amazing. and yeah. uh, Annie's Song. And No, wait. What? Wrong one. Bob, oh. not John. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. He uh, invented a new way to eat no. eggs, right? Well, what yes, I was going to yes. say was he's not the Bob Denver is not the one. I'm, 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 I'm gonna let that pass. Mm. <laughs> I fucking hate you all. Um, Bob Denver <laughs> is not the one uh, who uh, managed to uh, take a uh, four-hour cruise in an aircraft with only three hours worth of fuel. True. Oh. Mm. So that actually hurt. Yeah, that joke crashed. Oh, man. Oh no! No burning. No, no, no burning. No burning. No burning. Actually, <laughs> no burning. There was no burning. It was over. It was yeah. over water and no fuel. So mm. yeah. So mostly kind of squish. All right. So yeah, Bob but, Denver. But no, but uh, uh, really big was, on uh, was really on, big on uh, yeah. on TV. Logan's but Island, uh, right? and they did yeah, and and the uh, they were going to be you know a, a, a ensemble cast because there were only six people, and uh, you know he didn't have a lot of uh, uh, he didn't he wasn't a, the biggest star on on the network or anything, so he he couldn't do whatever he wanted, but he did say well you know. Um, I'm gonna have approval over the titles. If that's like, you know, I want, I want, I want my contract approval over the titles. And they said, sure, no problem. And they made the uh, pilot. And they said, okay, well, we're gonna do this. You, we're we're cutting. Um, and I, I'm at the last going to blank on the actress's names, but Marianne and Ginger mm-hmm. uh, and Mrs. Howell, all of the women, are going to cut out of the titles. And uh, that, yeah, and uh, they said, well. That's what we're gonna do," he said. "Okay, uh, well, I, I I I have approval. Well, you can approve whatever you want, but this is what we're doing." Mm-hmm. And his response was to say, "Absolutely, no problem. You go ahead and put those together." Wait until they cut it and said, "Yeah, I I don't approve it. Do it again." And he said, "What don't you approve?" He said, "I have no idea, but <laughs> until I until I see all my co-stars' names on there." I don't think I'm going to prove anything you do. And I'm okay with you just making this over and over again until you run out of money. <laughs> and uh, thus, uh, uh, the actresses were actually in the uh, titles because Good. he drove that one home like a like a semi. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. So cool you're dude. back in the 1920s or are we oh, forward, no, no, we're, to, forward we're, to zines again? Oh, one last part there. Because I, I did mention okay. that the, the number of, of directors did drop a little bit from, from the right. previous equal, equality. Uh, afterwards, uh, the number of women directors now in uh, TV and movies dropped to one half of 1%. Yeah, well. Technically um, speaking, not zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been doing this podcast long enough that i'm not surprised i think the phrase i'm looking for is because of course they did 
So as we're going through the 60s and we're watching what's on the air, I just had to make some notes of things and uh, that, that just horrified the ever-loving crap out of me. Uh, the same... Uh, 67 again, uh, the, the same year as all, all this uh, else going on. Mm-hmm. The Exhibitionist and Rosemary's Baby are the uh, uh, big books. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the Exhibitionist is a award-winning novel, and it was one of the top sellers of the year. And it's referring to a... a there's a man writing about uh, a protagonist who is a woman who is uh, um, in uh, uh, adult films. And so, of course, in his mind, she's an exhibitionist. Mm. And, you know, the, we'll all be shocked if I tell you that the uh, conclusion of this is um, bad things happen to her and then the book ends. And isn't he so clever and... Uh, daring for ta- for talking about such things as women having sex. Uh, also, Rosemary's Baby. Ooh, another man writing about a woman's rape. You know, mm-hmm. recreationally speaking. Which then just, the next year becomes a movie. Which, which the is, next year becomes a movie. Starts off the possession craze uh, starting in 68. Mm-hmm. With Roman Polanski. Yeah, we covered in episodes 24 and 25, if you want to scroll back that far. And and made by Roman Polanski. Well, he's not a problematic individual at all. So I mean, Oh, no, you know, no, it's, no. It's good that he was assigned to it. Hey, I should probably yeah. I should probably jump in here on 60, 68, the same year that, that the Rosemary Babies come out of the movie. Gore Vidal writes Myra Breckenridge. Mm-hmm. Myra Breckenridge. Gore Vidal, I would like to clarify is a um, uh, uh, cis by white man. I, mm-hmm. I think really fundamentally it's more, you know, uh, if it if it's available and it doesn't move too fast, he's good for it. Uh, he writes this book, Myra Breckenridge, and it becomes a movie immediately afterwards. Mwah. It's written as the diary of a male to female to male transgendered character. Some of the changes are not by choice, who uh, in their first-person narrative gets increasingly erratic and unhinged um, before uh, uh, disintegrating and committing suicide. So great guy to talk about. Oh, and of course, it's it's full of lots of graphic depictions of everything that I guess he really enjoyed. Uh, To let us all know who Gore Vidal is. We'll jump forward in time a moment and point out that uh, Rom- uh, uh, Roman Polanski um, drugged and raped a 13-year-old girl, and he admitted to this. And then before he could be sentenced for it, he fled to France where um, they imprisoned him, and he's been locked up ever since. Uh, yeah, wait, no. Um, you, you were you were right on the money but, right up until that last phrase. Did they, did they execute him? No. No. Free. Chemical castration. Been, no. been free. He's he's free. Yeah. He's he's, he's not only free. No. No. Well, they didn't. They didn't I, mean, I don't know. Cool. I don't know. I don't know what he pays for in his private time. So maybe. 
But they didn't, they didn't let him make movies or anything. Oh yeah, oh, it ended his career yeah. completely, didn't it? Uh, no. Just, I mean, he never made another oh. thing again. Okay. No. So so because of course they didn't afterwards. Or... Yeah. So so this is this is Roman Polanski, a terrible human being. Um, mm-hmm. and I and I use that word human very loosely. Yeah. Uh, Gore Vidal stated regarding his rape of a 13-year-old child. I really don't give a fuck. There's a quote. I, I Let me, please, there are quotes around this. This is not coming from my mouth. This is Gore Vidal. Quote, I really don't give a fuck. Look, am I going to sit and weep every time a young hooker feels as though she's been taken advantage of? End quote. Gore Vidal is already dead. So... I guess that's a positive. With that, we can all look that's on the, the silver side. lining. The silver lining on this yeah. particular cloud. Yeah. So this is um, where this is where we are. Uh, by 1970, 83% of Star Trek fanfic writers are women. I would just because, let me, let because me... in a great because in a great society that's working, you don't get punk rock. Yes. Right. Like, <laughs> I just want to go back to Gore Vidal for a second. Oh, given, God. Given how awful he is, mm. what kind of a fucking monster, horrible human being do you have to be to make him the good guy in a debate? And the answer is William <laughs> F. Buckley. But... <laughs> you know... It's kind of like... There's, there, 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 there was a... There was, a, there, was a, there was like a, a horror movie I saw a, a, a couple of years back that was like Nazis versus zombies. Yeah, you just rooting oh, I know for... that one. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. That was actually a good one. Yeah. And, and, and just rooting for, and just root for decapitation. Yes, you're, you're, yeah. you're, 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 rooting, you're, you're rooting for bloodshed. Yeah. 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 Um, That's great. <laughs> you're, and, and we're all voting for the bullets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really much. freeing to watch something like that. Just yes, like, it really is. And uh, I, yeah. I be fucking dead. It's mm-hmm. all of them. <laughs> Twice over, actually. Yeah. Preferably one of them kills the other. And then they have like to... the zombie sh- to win first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. part. Yeah. That part. Okay, if the zombie wins first, then you, have zo- then you have zombie... Vi- <laughs> then you have zombie Nazis, and then you can kill the zombie Nazis. Yeah, I don't want is- that. Oh, yeah. That, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> if you think so, about yeah. it, you could farm that out. It's not like and they had a brain in the first place. Right, <laughs> but you could just farm that out. Losing anything and have people just re-kill the Nazi zombies <laughs> over and over again. It's kind of like what I imagine Doctor Strange living through three hundred oh, or three million yeah. plus times, uh, seeing yeah. Tony Stark die in every one of them. Um, just like yeah. that's got to be rewarding. It just. Hey, Damien, tell me which side you were on in Civil War. <laughs> With. Without telling me which side you were on right. in Civil War, <laughs> I, I love that they, they managed to get they managed to pick uh, pick sides for that one that surprised me. Yeah, At, from a writing from a writing perspective, you know, I was I was a, uh... and then you, you you look at it and go, no, no, that totally makes perfect sense. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. But your 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 first yeah. instinct is, wait, what? Yeah. 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 All right. Like so, that. so eighty-three oh, percent of women. I, oh, go ahead. So I was actually going to say, since eighty-three percent of women are fanfic writers at this point, and you've got the fact that society generally sucks mm-hmm. if you are a woman, and then also just you know coming into that part about how transgenderism is being shown, 
um, in that example. That brings me to uh, 1977 with the first flash mm -hmm. fic, but I also want to talk about what happened in 1976 because what we have is um, kind of how queer people are being represented um, in media. Because mm -hmm. again, you can't have punk rock in a society that's great. And so one of the things that's happening is they are laying the initial foundations of the barrier gaze trope. Um, and there is a soap opera, which I have no desire to watch. So I'm just doing this off of a wiki article, but I am aware of it because it is a bit infamous. Um, called Executive Suite, which is about corporations and it's a soap opera. So therefore it has to suck. Um, and it was canceled very quickly. But in the five months it aired, it managed to do some stunning um, damage in the barrier gaze um, category where you have a canonical lesbian character for the first time on public broadcasting it's on CBS um and this character first off is shown to be a woman in an abusive marriage so obviously you can only be gay if you've been abused by a man sure. um lesbians are, are made not born um on top of it this woman this character um proceeds to come out in an episode to a friend and this is in one episode not even like probably like 20 minutes it is a conversation that what I am about to explain um, occurs. The character comes out to her friend. The friend responds that she likes her too. And upon realizing her lesbianism, because her friend coming out has now awakened this unnatural urge in herself, walks into traffic and is promptly hit by a truck and killed. Oh my God. And then in 1977, we see our first femme slash fic come out in the Star Trek fandom. So, okay. Wait. You know, they they literally yes. they literally threw her under a bus. Mm. Literally truck, but yes. But, well, literally. okay. Motor vehicle. I mean, <laughs> it's like oh, so. The no, Teamsters I'm cured gay. lesbianism. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. uh, um, that and, was like the big thing. And and it should be noted thing. things that are going on at this time that are just in just a remind everybody what's what 76 77 looked like in mm -hmm. 76 the supreme court ruled that women women do not require a written permission slip from their husbands in order to get an abortion right because prior to this please note you know seven He's, years after the end of star star trek on tv you needed a permission slip from the, your the husband same, the same barrier to to health care Mm -hmm. was what we expected of women to have as the same barrier to can I leave school early mom like you yeah. mm -hmm. need yes. a written permission yeah. slip that's well just, because I mean yeah come on Damien like mm -hmm. at this point the the outlook was they're they're not like fully legally people like right. it's what not kind until of radical that they can what get their own of, credit cards so yeah, yeah. what, what yeah. kind of soy boy attitude do you have about that like come on no they start out the property yeah. of their father they right. become the property of their husband it's just it's romans all the way it's down. a transaction yeah yeah transaction no 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 none of that okay. stuff there now, that comes with special other permission slips that now, you have to unlock now here comes the thing interesting government for me, permission Wait, slips. So 70, this, this is wacky yeah. 76 mm -hmm. same year that ann rice right uh, publishes interview with a vampire that was so, that long ago that was that yeah uh, she's yeah. that old she 
I don't she think did. it's just well, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That comes up later. Yeah. She's dead. Sure. We'll go with that. She, she was yeah. a boss battle. Mm-hmm. Like, I love her books. Love her but, books. She was a boss battle as far as fan fiction was. Oh, my God. Yes. But I bring this up because this is kind of a thing you see is um, during this time period, we we're talking about slash fic being the, 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 the typographic slash in between two characters' names. Mm-hmm. And most commonly, it's two male characters, and the writers are mostly female. And this there's there's some uh, troubling subtext to yep. the um, objectification of gay male relationships for straight women's sexual um, titillation. Is that too far? No, I no. Think I mean, one of the things that we'll okay. be talking that I'm going to keep chiming in with, anyways. Really, the, the only pun I make, and I get nothing. Two, I'm sorry, you because you have two. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'll give it to you, but okay. you've got two, two uh, areas as far as queer content um, in fandom, um, where you've got queer content being created by queer people, and then you've got queer content being by created by heteronormative people who objectify and fetishize these types of relationships. Right. I'm going to put an um, asterisk on that one. Not all uh, are the hetero is objectification or fetishizing. I'll come back to that. Not all, but a lot. Well, it's, I, a, mind, it's a mind. It's a minefield. I've been in the trenches. Yes. Okay. It, it goes, <laughs> not all rats in the 1340s carried bubonic plague. Yes. Not all. Of yeah. them, not all. Enough. Well, actually, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I'm going to jump in. You know what? I'll jump in. Um, if you don't okay. mind. Uh, I got ADHD. I don't care. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, is there any else. Is there anybody here who's not medicated for ADHD? <laughs> really? I'm not medicated. The two single oh. subject teachers, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 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 in other words, you're undiagnosed. Got it. Um, <laughs> no. No, the we uh, mask. There's oh. a difference. <laughs> ah, you passed. Okay. No, the yeah, uh, I had medication. I can't do it anymore. Ah, oh, God. Uh, I'm so sorry. No, the um, <laughs> the there's an interesting thing here with with um, uh, straight women and writing, quite frankly, gay male male fanfic. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna kind of jump a little bit ahead to this because this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh. I'm, you've talked about this a little bit on the show before. The Mary Sue. Uh, uh-huh. and, and yeah. the, the Mary Sue is, a, it, it is the kiss of death for all writers. If you write a Mary Sue, the story is automatically bad. You are a terrible person, and you should feel bad for having done this. This is not true, but that's a popular yeah. Well, thing. so, yeah, George Lucas yeah. sucks as a writer because Luke Skywalker, I mean, Well, you know, on. here's the thing. Amer- the, the character of Mary Sue was uh, in a one-page story written in a fanzine back in the 60s. And it was a, it was a parody send-up of some bad writing. And it was the character Mary Sue shows up and everybody falls in love with her. And uh, she's half Vulcan, half something else. And um, she saves the ship and uh, dies. This is the actual finale of V. It's basically, yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you so say Mary Sue, and I'm like, Prete Doma. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> what, what it is, is, is um, 
it, it, it is a very much a subjective uh, uh, typing of someone writing a character that you disapprove of because you think that their success is a wish fulfillment of the author's like all the other writers writing a success was not wish fulfillment by an author. I don't think failure or failure or replaying a problem in their heads that they can't get out. But so the, the, here's this interesting thing. All of the self-actualized protagonists in Star Trek are all men. They're all men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. We we mentioned Shell Nicole and, and uh, Martin Luther King saying, you've got Mm -hmm. to stay on the show. Mm-hmm. You are where people are seeing that a woman, that a black woman, can be professional mm-hmm. and competent, and is not running around saying, "Ah, oh, help me." Kind of no, that's right. that's bullshit. This is what this is what we look like, and so she she stayed. That's great. It wasn't until fifteen years after the creation of Star Trek that the fanfic loving writer Von McIntyre actually put down names in a book for Uhura and Sulu. They didn't have first names until 1981. Mm-hmm. 1981, she names them Uhura, uh, she names Uhura, Nyota, and she names Sulu Hikaru. And um, oh. incidentally, uh, uh, if you want to read The Entropy Effect, it is a phenomenal novel, and it is basically fanfic, but that's where it comes from. And that was still not accepted as canonical because it, uh, it was in a novel and no one gave a crap. Right. And so although she wrote this and everybody else wrote this and it's been around, uh, Peter David, who was another author, but this one has external genitalia, uh, went to the set of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and convinced Nicholas Meyer to insert the names into the script so they would become truly canonical because until these two men uh, whipped, whipped it out and peed on it, it wasn't real. But now they made it real. Uh, and so that was, what, the 98 or – Undiscovered Country, yeah, I think 90... I was still in high school, 90... so 96, 95. Okay. Yeah, yeah 90, uh, I was going to say oh, wait, 96, Undiscovered, that's five, right? No, uh, no that was six. six. It's the Klingon one, yeah. right? Okay, that'd be yeah. 95, 96, thereabouts. Yeah. The, the one where they retconned the Klingon language to having the verb to be. Right. Yes. Which, yes, yeah. still still bugs those of us who remember that Klingon is supposed to be uh, spelled with T-H. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... With with the characters not having names, all the protagonists are men. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to write a, about your experience and you're saying, "Okay, well, you know, I'm a I'm a woman who has sex with men, and I have a relationship with a man, and I would like to see this relationship in the thing I'm writing," what in the hell are you going to do? You got three choices. You create a new character. Okay, great, maybe works. But let's be honest, if the character is able to do all the same things that Kirk and Spock can do, everyone's going to call it a Mary Sue. Because, mm-hmm. oh, oh, so this new person shows up and they can do all these things. Yeah, like all the other characters in my story. But yeah, you'll get bl- blamed for creating Mary Sue. Option two, you promote one of the three named female characters in all of Star Trek to the role of girlfriend. Uhura, Rand, and uh, um, and your chapel, yeah. Mm-hmm. You only got three characters. They so pick one of those three, and say someone have a sex with them, which is, I suppose, one thing you could do. But uh, a couple of unfortunate implications there. 
they're all subordinates in a military hierarchy. It's kind of creepy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really, really creepy if you're sleeping with your subordinates. And they're not, quite frankly, the characters that have been doing everything. So either you have to turn them into the characters who do everything, mm -hmm. or you have created a girlfriend character who's secondary and subordinate, and that's kind of what you're trying to avoid in the first place. Mm -hmm. And your third choice is you write slash fic, and you just say, you know, Spock is, a, is half Vulcan. Half Vulcans have deep, powerful emotions that they don't show. Right. And they're much stronger than human men. And they have these, these like almost uncontrollable sexual drives, but they, they absolutely have to control them. And that's what makes them good people. Mm -hmm. And Kirk, meanwhile, is empathic, is emphatic. He's the communicator. Fundamentally, he's the bottom. And you just write them as, you know, a straight, a a straight mm -hmm. couple who just happens to be, you know, not. Yeah. And uh, uh, so there is a portion of it that is absolutely, I would like to write porn because I find it fun mm -hmm. if, 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 if everybody has a ding dong because I like ding dongs and this is double the ding dong. That's okay. a thing. Mm -hmm. And and I, I will uh, poo-poo it about as hard as I will poo-poo all the straight porn aimed at men that have lesbians. At the end of the day, I just really couldn't care that much about what other people do. Uh, That's fair. It's just but, that when you are the oh, you know, queer kid on the internet, it's very different. And it's definitely, and there's also like, there's that oh, toxic aspect too of people that absolutely. like make it like weird and they impose really like toxic, um, a thousand misogynistic percent. like, ropes onto characters that they are putting into like a feminizing kind of role um but in a really like toxic sense Absolutely. um or just like objectifying it where there is um basically what it boils down to is it's not just like i like ding dongs here's some ding dongs it's like I'm trying to think like how there's an like, exploitative quality to it. It. it was yeah and it's, it's like, like queer really, exploitation well, yeah, and, and like really like creating like more of like the barrier gaze or like really doing like toxic things. Like one of the things that always really made me angry as a um a bisexual person, um having somebody when they enter a same sex relationship or they're written in a same sex relationship, now they are no longer bisexual. They no longer identify as bisexual oh, as bisexual. Right. They have been cured of that ailment and bisexual erasure they are. Well, mm -hmm. bisexual erasure is a whole category, whole thing. Uh, and quite frankly, it is even uh, this I find even weirder. Huge in the gay com creative culture. I mean, within it can be, yeah. It's really the bizarre. Older, older, well, the older, um, and things that's keep getting that, you, know, you look at better through time. You know, yeah, and you but, start to see as more people you know, are more outspoken about being bisexual and, and doing that. But yeah, you're right. It, there was, and there still is, especially in some of the older, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think those aren't the people who are writing bisexual fanfic, it sounds like. It's it's straight. Oh, folk. some are. No, oh, no some, some are, but oh, it's yeah. like a... But if we're they, looking at the, the big numbers. Them. Right, and, and <clears throat> it seems like the straight ones are the heteronormative folk are the ones yeah. that are writing, writing the curative bisexual stories yes. from what we're talking about so i just i don't want to blur that 
no well, and because usually in the gay community is. the lgbtq community generally right. when you're seen by erasure there it's the fact that um it, and it's within it's that within the weakening of the community right like right. you've got people who are attracted to pretty much all genders mm-hmm. um some people use the term pansexual some people use the term bisexual but you have these people who can be in what are called straight passing relationships where right. you have a opposite sex partner or a um you know something that makes you look like a cishet couple um regardless of if you are cishet or not that right. then causes some people in the community to decide that you are no longer part of the community and you can no longer identify with the struggles and then what it winds up doing is weakening the community structure which um, i mean which is so frustrating and if you go and look through basically every single group everywhere that's existed uh ranging from the uh uh issues within the african-american community regarding mm-hmm. skin tone and colorism. passing and colorism uh, if you look at that same uh, skin tone issue for india the subcontinent and pakistan if you, start, mm-hmm. if you look at i'm the i'm irish and uh, uh, over there uh, the uh, uh, the number of us who are uh, part english and um, that's considered a big damn thing and uh, in my own family with the uh, combination of the Irish and Protestant or uh, Irish Catholic and Irish Protestant um right. yeah that's a whole thing uh and yeah. there is a there is a, a an interesting thing where our native uh not really tribalism but tr- uh troopism because we're really it's more straight up obnoxious monkey behavior it's, mm-hmm. you know, primate, it's fundamentally a primate thing uh that bit where we're like I'm a I'm this is my little group is really great, but we tend to do this thing where now we start looking inside that group and saying, well, but, you know, do we all really count? Right. And then yeah, we start that just, trying I'm, new lines. I'm going to push back a little bit. That feels yeah. a little diffusion-y. Um, and, and Tessa, feel free to jump in on this um, mm-hmm. as well. But it feels like that's a bit diffusion-y because uh, we're talking about um, – we started with um, here are straight people largely – writing about queer content and they are Mm -hmm. exploiting it because they're not of it um and you know i don't think that everybody should just write what they know but we're talking about that and and it gets into the the straight approach toward bi or homosexuality in the fiction is almost i'm not going to say it's inherently exploitative but it sounds like it started from a very exploitative place and then we shifted to bi erasure within the gay community, but we didn't acknowledge the the straight relief when a uh, bi person uh, is in a heteronormative relationship. It's like, okay, thank God. Now we don't have to worry. There's yeah. a, a thing that happens there too. Um, and yeah. the thing that that I want to just really make sure that we, we cordon off there is um, that we don't diffuse that because there is a layer of power that is overlaying all of that the the straight community has the power to define all the other things and we queer folk are reacting to those definitions on a you know on on an existential level and so if we then diffuse that out to and also so do the irish do this and so do other people do this and that it's it's tribalism i think it gets away from the power dynamic involved in having in having uh fanfic written in in that way there's 
the representation part too because right. like you've got you know like we were you know saying that like you know when you, you don't have that type of really quality representation when you've got super heteronormative individuals writing about queer relationships mm-hmm. there is a narrative where you generally are like mm, you're not you're not queer oh, yeah. and the same thing goes for like i've seen um work which is something we're going to talk about later like when we talk about like manga and doujinshi and things like that but where you can you start to get this vibe mm-hmm. where you're like you are a little too in tune with the emotional <laughs> aspects here you're a little too aware of some of the nuance of the conversations that go on and the thoughts that we have mm-hmm. um you're not you're not straight you you're you're putting it on as if you are but you're not um there are like these little tells that really are experiential and if you are a queer reader you're gonna pick up on them more the same way you're gonna pick up on the expletive aspect when you're like ooh, they're just sexualizing people that identify or in this group with this identity um it's often for, for bisexuals in particular we have uh, the the unicorn concept um, mm-hmm. where we are particularly um, fetishized and sexualized as someone who could be the other in a threesome. Right. Never mind the fact that you know bisexual people have agency. Create romantic. Yeah, we have agency. We create romantic and emotional bonds, and like you know, we go through romance the same way that everyone else does. And like hell yeah, some of us have a hoe face have the whole phase that's great but it's like there's an objectification that is associated with the label which is automatically this person is bisexual therefore they will have sex with somebody who has a vulva and someone who has a penis and there is no agency there there is no um their sexuality is expectation it's turned on weird yeah yeah and so it's that kind of a thing. And when you see that kind of thing written, or you see like a person who uh, is bisexual suddenly be like, "Oh, never mind, I identify as gay or I identify as straight," based on how they're being written, you're like, "Oh, yeah, that's not how that works." And it's not necessarily that it's even erasure. It's just literally a straight person who has no idea what it's like to be bisexual, has right. spoken to a real life bisexual person, has no interest in like what it genuinely means to be bisexual. I immediately think of Willow and uh, and Buffy. Yes. Wait, hang on. You're gay. You've dated men, like men, romantically. But Mm -hmm. now that you're with a woman, you are. Exactly. Because again, written by guy. There's also the idea of the, um, oh God, what do they call them? um they have like a special term that they use for a i can't remember and it's super isolationist and it's really gross but uh for lesbians god i can't remember gold star lesbian gold star Mm -hmm. lesbian where they've never had any sexual experience with anyone who identifies as man therefore they're the gold star which is really weird because sexuality is fluid and sexuality is a process and it is an identity that you figure out Mm -hmm. um and some people are really fortunate where it's just like I got this. And then there's other people that, you know, go through a whole series of events, figuring out where they fall on the spectrum. And there is, and like the cold star lesbian, you'll see within the gay community, mm-hmm. but you really see it more with people who don't understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the same kind of thing where like when you see cishet straight men writing lesbians, they're also the ones that don't understand how boobs work. Like, you know, yeah. her, her 
Hey, she's George R. R. Martin, reclining how you doing? incredibly sexily when she's depressed. I'm like, no, that bitch has mascara everywhere if she's wearing it. She <laughs> is singing weird songs to her cat. Her cat is questioning every life choice. She looks a lot <laughs> of things super hot, not one of them, unless you have a kink about crying, in which case I'm not here to shame you. But she has to be I into might that be. too. Right. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I as long be. as it's consensual, sane, safe, I'm. I'm not, do the aftercare. But it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, as and so that's done, kind of like what it is. Yeah, that's what he did a lot of the beta beta uh, uh, reading for a lot of uh, authors, some of whom were writing slash and mm-hmm. yeah. It there's an awful lot of this that is very dependent upon the art, and some people are writing fundamentally. Uh, erotica and right when you're writing your your, uh, erotica about somebody else uh, and somebody's somebody else's uh, sexuality because you're fetishizing it that's fundamentally that is the definition of objectification Uh, when you're as a creative person identifying with somebody who's different than you and Mm -hmm. trying to inform a story or inform a character with your experience as you're mm-hmm. trying to identify with somebody who's got a different life experience than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's not successful, but it's certainly an entirely different category of thing than mm-hmm. um, than objectification. It's, it's just um, hopefully what all creative people should be doing, which is trying to understand. I mean, if you're not trying to understand, I'm not really sure what you're doing making things. Well, if you're not right, but that's like that's what we're talking about. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, but that's I, the point of oh, like absolutely. those better readers and bringing in yes, people from absolutely. those communities to give you the feedback, and you can tell oh, when totally. a writer has had like a sensitivity reader go through it versus like or, or like or I'm just thinking of like specific fics that I've read where they literally say like I'm not bisexual anymore, and I'm like as soon as I would see that I would be like ooh yeah we're done. I, you can kind of see it coming. Yeah. You can kind of be like, hmm. oh, not you not know, kind like, of. Usually, you can see it coming in, in yeah. the first first like page or two. You'd be honestly, like sitting there and you'd be like, okay, you know what? This feels like a straight person. Yep, there it is. It's the it, it, always. It, it, it's the, the prom the, dress. It's it's mm-hmm. it's prom dress mentality. It's I am opt and and again, there's nothing wrong with being interested in a culture or being interested yeah. in that which is different than you. That's it sounds to me that's what fanfic fanfic is. It's somebody else's laid yeah. out a sandbox and you're like, I want to play there. Play in the Ain't sandbox, nothing wrong yeah. with that. Sometimes. But at the same time, when you treat Sometimes. other people's um sexual identity, which is an aspect of who they are, mm-hmm. not the aspect, an aspect, and you treat it as the aspect, the defining mm-hmm. feature is not that he's a red shirt and that he is the son of an engineer and he's a disappointment to that that engineer and now he has become a security guy. The The only aspect you really focus on security uh, Bob is that security Bob likes dick. Um, yeah. When you do that and you define him only as that, that's where it gets into prom dress stuff. Because as a cishet writer, you can opt back out. You can you can go back to your passing in your in your straight world afterwards. Right. Uh, us queer folk are still navigating in, in multiple worlds. Oh, um, yeah. exactly. And that's that's speaking as a man who has been perfectly fine letting everybody leave him the hell alone most of my life because <laughs> they just assume, oh, 
you're a big fat guy. You're probably straight. I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think. I'm not interested in you. So I don't care. Yeah. Right. You know, and there's like a, there's a harmful aspect have, yeah, too. Have come out for me, you know, and they're like, oh, you're a bear. Right. I'm like, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, but there's I'm like, there's, there's harm that can be yeah. done through that prom dressing where right. oh. like the unicorn keeps getting perpetuated or right. the idea that you only, you, 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 you're like two sides of a coin and whatever side you land on that becomes your identity and that kind mm-hmm. of stereotype. And then there's also the stereotype of being promiscuous and things. And Oh my gosh, my, my husband, it's never not going to be hilarious and wholesome to me. Um, I was ranting about this one day um, about how frustrating it is and how I have had to navigate having partners who have assumed that I am promiscuous or more prone to cheating um, and infidelity because I am bisexual. Um, and this man who is so sheltered looks at me and goes, oh my God, that's awful. Why would anyone think that? And I just looked at him and I'm like, you don't, you don't know that stereotype and he's like that's a stereotype and it's like my favorite stories especially within my fandom circles because we're all queer as shit but like i will say this and that is incredibly cute the idea of cocaine is in my username and and he goes he's he's mr cocaine within this um and i'll be like he's so wholesome yeah it's i've Pick a username because I thought I mean, it was really funny because I didn't have diagnosed ADHD at the time and was uh, still unmedicated and unaware. And uh, yeah, I was like, you know, it'd be really because I was like, oh, things are made of stardust. I love science and I love Carl Sagan. You know what else is made of stardust? Cocaine makes you see stars. And that became the whole having, thing. It went downhill from there. So he's having, Mr. Cocaine. Having, having met your husband, number one, yeah. I had never heard that story from you before. It was so. It but only happened but like it two is, or three years ago. Darling. Okay. Okay. God, it but, was so cute. But that is that is. Oh my! That's so him. Number one. It's so him. Because he really is a human cinnamon roll. He really is. <laughs> number yeah. number two. And you want to know the best I'm, part? I'm never going to be able to look at his picture again without thinking that's Mr. Cocaine right there. Oh, <laughs> like, he's a legend within the fandom circle. Like we have like death of the author in real time. Like she engages with the fandom. It's fantastic. She knows who my husband is. It's great. Cool. I showed him. I was like, look, she reblogged you. He was like, I'm cooler than you now. I was like, yeah. <laughs> kind of, but oh no, it, he's such, he's such, he's such a cinnamon roll. And it was wonderful because um, after a day of, endlessly cackling bringing it back to fanfic <laughs> i got the pleasure of explaining the omega verse to that man oh god um and yeah regularly i'm like do you want to watch the lawsuit you want to watch the lawsuit documentary i know you do <laughs> he'll just I, randomly drop terminology he's he just I, rolls with it it's great. i i see a question in the eyes of uh, of our of our uh, hosts yep yeah do i get to I, explain I, it again i i was going to say this uh i am Far too curious for my own good. I am, I think, in several various lifetimes, a dead cat, oh, and um, uh, a schmuck bait always, always, inevitably gets me. Yeah, I mentioned this to tell you that Tessa brought this up to me. Uh huh. I told him not to Google it. And I told said, don't him, do and it. She, and she said specifically, "Don't Google it. Don't do it. You won't be happy." Told me. 
And I said, but you understand, I, I, this, this sounds like schmuck bait. She God damn you both. And I was like, I'm I fully am aware. Don't Google it. And I did. And he did. I regret it. I will always regret it. Oh. And I'm here to tell you, don't fall for the <laughs> schmuck bait. The schmuck but bait is bad. it is. It is major it, fandom it goes, lore, especially when it comes to Supernatural. And it is cursed as shit. It is a generational curse that we will never goes, rend from the earth. It, All right. So the let wishes me, go as, bad, Sammy. The wishes go real bad. All right. So <laughs> let, me, real bad. let me let me reel this back in. Uh, mm. One, we were still working our way through the chronology and we, yeah. we needed to yes. kind of plumb yeah. the depths there. Uh, and so I want us to get back to that and find a stopping point there. Wait. At which point somebody will Stop. explain what all of this inside baseball was because many of our audience doesn't know it. That's the whole point we had you here. But the Omegaverse, I will do too. it. Everyone yeah. will. I'm going to give a warning. Oh, yes. I will. Yeah. We will have a but warning now. First, I want to get uh, back okay. to a, a logical breakoff point on that chronology. So, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sean, get to a logical, bre- logical breakoff point on the. Gold, the gold pressed Latin Mage of fanfic. And how everything is shit and marginalized communities are creating content in which they have representation. Yes. That well, we got this. Sort of. Because here's this interesting thing 19, uh, the Copyright Act of 1790 was current when Star Trek was created. That said, 14 years of copyright, and if you're alive after 14 years, you can extend it for another 14. They amended it. Uh, a couple of times, changing it to 28-year copyright and a 14-year extension if you're still alive. Uh, they made some tweaks to, you know, then change it to 28 and 28, but 56 years and you're done. Uh, Unless you're a cartoon mouse. We'll get there. Yeah. See, that's that's the law as of 1912 with all that. They create Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is created. Star Trek will become public domain. Uh, in 2022, or for those of you who are looking at your calendars, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. So we, we progress. 1976, they create a new copyright law. New copyright law does a couple of cool things, but they say, well, the copyright term is now extended to the entire life of an author plus 50 years. And right. uh, 75 years from publication or 100 years from creation, pick the shortest, uh, if it's an anonymous or work for hire. And anything made before 1978 is retroactively given this extension to this extended time period. As of 1976, Star Trek will now become public domain in 2041. Uh, Eventually, it's just going to become like public domain once Zephram Cochran does his thing. In point of practical fact... (laughs) Actually, you yeah. you are you are actually uh, really horribly, awfully, painfully, brutally accurate. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. they when they make the the next change in 1998, uh, Star Trek enters public domain in 28 in 2086 as of now, which is 23 years after first contact with Vulcans and the invention of the warp drive. 23 years after Zephyr Cochran launches the first warp aircraft. Damn it! First warp drive starship. Yes. Yeah. Te- technically speaking. Captain Archer would not be flying the NX-01 around and, uh, you know, doing really unfortunate post-9-11 Star Trek stories. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's just how far it gets messed up. Uh, And at the same time that we're dealing with this, this, quite frankly, 
this, this unprecedented expansion of, of um, copyright, it should be pointed out that the purpose of copyright, going back to the, the um, writ of Anne, uh, going back to the English, uh, was always one thing, which was uh, there's got to be some way to uh, encourage writers, encourage creative people to make stuff. And so it's to give them a, a, a temporary, uh, legally enforced monopoly on their, on, their, on their work product for a limited time period so that you make it, it's yours, and you get to profit off of it for a little while before it, it, you know everyone's bought a copy and now it's theirs. And uh, you should probably go on and write something else now, shouldn't you? Uh, well, this extension, well, first of all, any extension turns this into, I wrote something once, so, uh, and it was successful, so I'm done. Right. Kind of defeats one of the purposes. And making it retroactive, it's not like when they made this law in 76, they included a time machine to go back and tell Gene Roddenberry, here's your pile of money, go make a couple more seasons. It didn't make any more stuff. It was just there. Uh, so it didn't help anything. And what exactly, what, what's the point of this goofball crap? Well, here's something interesting. 65, the heirs of Edgar Rice Burroughs file for and receive a trademark on Tarzan. Yes. Heirs. The heirs. The heirs. The okay. heirs. Yes, yes. Uh, I always thought that he seemed a little bit pompous, but apparently he had airs. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a okay. Weak. Okay. You, Sorry. you, the, the you, trick to you swung on, on that show. one. Yeah. You swung but on that one. But I swung but hard. Well done. I, I, you know what? The trick I, to doing I, a pun I, on the show is you keep going. You let him smell the fart after you've crop dusted him. What's the problem? Is he's the problem? Is he's the problem? Is I'm looking at him. He's just staring at me like no. No, you keep going. He will catch oh, okay. it. He'll he catch it. Catch it. it. Okay. Yeah, he'll no. be like, okay. oh, you okay. had salmon. It'll be ah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you tell? No. Um, so this is the, um, this is the thing. With, with, with uh, a trademark is designed for, well, business purposes. Right. And uh, the idea is this is a thing you use to sell stuff. And a trademark does not ever expire. It's why Coca-Cola is still called Coca-Cola. Ford is Ford. Is you know, the British are, East Indies? Yeah, is is still called evil. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and so this, the the existence of a trademark defeats copyright because it's now a perpetuity. It, it's going to last forever. Um, I don't know how in the hell that is legal, but they made it work, or they got someone to say yes. So there you go. And you go back through what's been made over this time period mm -hmm. from our good friends at Disney, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, uh, got a Jungle Book. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these are public domain stories that, quite frankly, Disney went and made a ton of cash on. Right. And and they weren't alone. I mean, at the end of the day, we mentioned Magnificent Seven, uh, which was 1960, uh, and uh and, and Ed, you know, and Yojimbo, which was sixty-one. <laughs> Talk about not mm -hmm. taking a lot of time to say that was a great idea here, let me copy it. Mm -hmm. Um but it, really go back and look at it, it's it's kind of nuts. They those weren't even the, the the first ones there. But um 
Ben-Hur, Journey to the Center of the Earth, King Solomon's right. Mines, Jason the Argonauts, Mask of the Red Death, My Fair Lady, Fearless Vampire Killers, uh, Murders of the Rue Morgue, uh, Voyage of Sinbad, Young Frankenstein, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Rocky mm-hmm. Horror Picture Show in 75, 76, Murder by Death. By the way, pretty much all parodies, you can just kind of put a big yeah. capstone and say, this is fanfic, because you're taking somebody else's story and saying, I kind of have to reference your story in order to be able to poke fun at it. Right. Um, yeah. And it's just as it, it is an endless stream of this. And this kind of gets to an important part. Oh, I probably should mention that Star Wars was released somewhere in there. And it is a is copy. Hmm? 77. 77. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 77. Yeah. Uh, it was a copy and paste of uh, uh, Kurosawa's um, the Hidden Fortress. Fortress. Oh, by the way, watch that. It's awesome. And you'll be like, oh, my God, I never realized that R2 and C-3PO were um, were, were, were two uh, Japanese dudes, but they were. Or, and <clears throat> Or that they were uh, Laurel and Hardy. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. I, like, I, I heard that one. I was like, Laurel and Hardy, I don't really see it. And I watched Hidden Fortress and I was like, oh, my God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all these people are making a ton of money off of what of public domain, and at the same time, Disney is backing these uh, laws to collapse public domain into private ownership. Right. Uh, and that public domain is kind of important because that's how we communicate. I mean, uh, Darmok and Jalad is not just uh, a, the a great episode of Star Trek: uh, Next Generation, but I mean, it's is kind of a, a commentary on fiction itself that we mm-hmm. we use the stories to exchange ideas to say this is what this is like this right. is what this feeling was this is what this experience was mm-hmm. um and when we collapse public domain uh back into private ownership you lose the ability to comment on it you lose the ability to say things that are in fanfic like hey um you know, why is it that uh, uh, Harry Potter is left uh, to his own devices for 11 years and, you know, being clearly abused and no one's ever shown up? That seems kind of, well, insane. British. Isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, Brit- or British. Uh, hey, um, you know, uh, for the, the, uh, the, the two confirmed bachelors in that friend group seem awfully friendly. And there's no gay people in the story. Is there a reason for this? Right. Uh, no, you know, it sounds uh, like it sounds like what you've what you've described is a history of um, people and then corporations uh, seizing upon what everybody has had access to and then pulling the ladder up after themselves once they've made enough money to lift the ladder. And that fanfic is people building their own ladders to climb back up. Um, yes. Which I like that. And there's been a lot of history of that, too, because mm-hmm. Anne Rice was mentioned. Mm-hmm. And one of her lasting legacies is always going to be exceedingly negative because at the beginning, mm-hmm. and like she is a fanfic writer, her Sleeping Beauty trilogy, which is apparently now a quartet, is a fan fiction. And I know she's dead, but I will I will die on that hill. Um, it is a fan fiction. It is a erotic, poorly negotiated BDSM relationship. Um, version retelling it is it's poorly i i realize i read this as a teenager and i'm going wow imagine if that was where my kink education stopped i would have been banned hmm. um poorly negotiated very mm-hmm. 
this woman has no idea how BDSM actually works. Fifty uh, Shades of Grey kind of bad. Yeah, but worse. Actually, yeah. far more depraved. But I mean, like I More, vividly remember these books. Well, um, but like, Fifty Shades of Grey was uh, was was vanilla, but Twilight fan but, fiction. But but deeply, well, yeah, I know uh, that. But but deeply uh, imbalanced and uh, and unnegotiated, and unsafe. In, this was yeah, it's depraved. You couldn't consent. And, yeah, okay. It wasn't even. I mean, I was wow. Vanilla, but right. you know, it was badly. It was it was a more yes. BDSM. Anyway, okay. um, because it's a Twilight fanfic. But so she <laughs> wrote fanfiction, um, and. Initially, when she first created the Vampire Chronicles and interview with the vampire, she engaged um, with fan creators and uh, encouraged um, creations. And she would create these queer coded characters. And then when people who are queer started creating content with these characters, that was far more accurately queer. Then she started to have a big problem with it. And that's when we started seeing her doing the cease and desist and intimidating fanfic writers and fan artists um and led to these i mean they're hilarious now but at the time they were necessary these disclaimers at the beginning of stories um absolving the fic writers of any implied ownership of mm -hmm. these characters that mm -hmm. they were playing in the sandbox with um yeah. to the point that her impact was so lasting and it's so terrible that uh, the day she died, mm. people on AO3, which is a fan fiction, uh, our own, like the best organized one that's ever come out ever. Literally people, you can backdate when your fic was published and they had it set to the 90s of fanfics that they had written and racist characters that they published the day she died died because she could no longer come after them wow like that is how yeah. deep-seated people were building this ladder like i'm just gonna fucking when they added rungs for the ladder out of spite yeah. and like the whole one of the whole things about ao3 um as a platform is that they literally have a legal team because of Anne rice specifically wow. um and there's other authors and things that you know have attempted to follow suit but with that idea of public domain or just you know fan wanting use to preserve or, some yeah, yeah fair use kind of a thing um and it was just it was fascinating yeah to wow. see because you also have authors who hated their creations which brings my favorite public domain entrance uh sherlock holmes who was entered the public mm. domain the this year january 1st depends um technically he became full um mm. to the point that he hated his character, didn't care what the hell you did to him. It was like, kill him. I don't yeah. care. I tried to kill him. It didn't fucking work. He wouldn't have um, goddamn died. With his, yep. But with the people that then held the trust being like weird and uppity about it, but now they don't. They don't. Yeah. Delightful. So usually at this Public point. Public Yeah. Usually yeah. at this point. Um, we, we reflect uh, on, on what our takeaway is so far. Uh, before we go to a to a break in a two parter, or you know four parter, six parter, whatever we wind this up doing, just reference Batman. Um, yeah, I'm and... so sorry. <laughs> I'm so so sorry. But, uh, Omega Verse could be a, I, a full episode. Yeah, I, I still have. We don't want that. No, no, we probably don't. Um, don't. So, but based on that, um, 
I'll throw it to Damien first. What yeah. what is your takeaway at this well, point? Uh, I'm going to defer my takeaway uh, and okay. I'm going to cede my time uh, to the lady from the box below me uh, because <laughs> uh, we promised at the end that people would get a payoff on right. uh, a quick and easy of the Omegaverse. Uh, again, oh, no. not a Damien level insane amount of research on it, just the Reader's Digest version so that people know what the hell that, that was for 10 minutes about 20 minutes ago. So um, I can do that. Please do. So. I will say that this is um, based in a lot of things, including kink, but also uh, identity and gender and gender roles. So if you are someone who regularly avoids various tags, um, I'm going to throw this in with a dead dove. Do not eat. Um, If you don't know what that is, we will get deep into it. If you are unsure if this applies to you, it does. Okay, so it, should it I should I tell people to scrub forward three minutes? Yes, yeah, scrub forward okay. like three minutes or so at this point because I'm going to give you the most starting now. In my opinion, right. beloved yet cursed trope. You got, that you got three minutes. Fandom. Do it. All right, let's go. So it started with the supernatural fandom, as all awful, wonderful, terrible things do. Um, but the Omegaverse is a alternate universe in which fan writers and creators can uh, create content which assigns a secondary gender to individuals um this is for storytelling purposes but also is for erotic purposes uh and relationship purposes but instead of having the gender binary as we know it um, it includes three extra genders alpha beta and omega the alpha gender, it has to do with the idea of an alpha apex predator, is the strongest gen- gen- uh, gender, uh, generally has some kind of phallic device that produces reproductive fluid. Um, I don't remember what it's called. Okay. I should. Doesn't matter. Goes okay. by various names. Depends on what you're doing. Um, and that reproductive uh, is basically like the equivalent of semen. Uh, then you have the beta gender. Uh, the beta gender is like a middle of the road, is you know, slightly more dominant, but also slightly more submissive than the other genders. Um, and then you've got the, and they're just kind of like a vibe. They're there. Um, they could technically carry offspring, I think, sometimes. Sometimes they are sterile. It really depends on the um, way that you're interpreting this. And then you got the final gender, which is the omegas. And the omegas are the carrier gender, uh, the gender that's going to have the like womb type of organ uh, that is able to be impregnated by the alpha. Okay. Um, doesn't matter what the other gender is, because if you have an omega gender, that is what you are able to do. Um, there are various ways that this is expressed, um, but there are lots of terminologies and things that go with it, as well as gender roles, and they often fall back onto instinct um, to give certain gender expectation or gender-based behaviors to characters that have these secondary sexes. Um, sometimes they use it to subvert gender roles, where an Omega character would be less docile and would actually have more alpha characteristics, which you see um but yeah it's basically just a way where you can have reproductive qualities added to any character however you would like um and change dynamics with the secondary gender aspect okay but it's fascinating because they also do things where it's like they can explore discrimination based on the secondary gender and expectations subverting those gender expectations all that stuff so it just you know kind of depends on what what minefield you're walking into 
Okay, and that's the Omega verse. I'm surprised you didn't yeah. hit all the curse portions. That was nice of you. I mean, okay. do you really want me minutes. to get in this flick? I don't think you no. do. No. Yeah, Thank see, you, you don't Please, want that. No. Um, and just... we're back. Thank you guys for scrubbing forward <laughs> three minutes. Uh, that is what I have gleaned. Uh, back to you, Ed. What have you gleaned? <laughs> Okay. Um, I think I think the the biggest issue that that leaps out at me is um, as much as Star Trek itself was a utopian response to the ugliness and and every all the chaos that that people were seeing going on in the world. Um, and the inequality and the outright oppression and yep. everything. Um, even even Star Trek by itself, as it was as it was written, was uh, a was was a, was a problematic enough first step mm-hmm. to to again paraphrase uh, Doctor Cruz that. Um, more more was needed for many of the people who were most passionate about the fact that they were represented in it if that makes sense mm-hmm. it was yeah. that <laughs> somewhere somewhere partway through that i i was afraid i was losing the thread but i think i managed to get that thought out yeah. in a in a somewhat coherent manner and i think um, it'll be interesting, uh, in our, in our next episode, uh, to, uh, get into what happens when we have, uh, there's a combination of issues of, you know, authors who are, um, antagonistic toward, uh, fan fiction creations of their own work. And when a group of people who feel like a work has represented them, find out that the creator of that work is not their ally. Yeah. And I'm yeah. and I'm going I'm going to put that out there without any names attached, but I'm pretty sure anybody who listens to this podcast knows exactly what I'm talking about already. Um and so uh with with that I will I will hand it off to our guests. Uh what what as quickly as you can uh what what is your what is your your takeaway at this point from the conversation that we've had this evening oh i can go um i'm i think right now like the takeaway is like yeah we're kind of like setting those those foundational layers where we're talking about like what kind of spawned this type of art that we're seeing and what that art is designed to do um and how i kind of think like one of the things that we are starting to do and that i'm hoping we can do more is um subverting this idea that fanfic or fan art is somehow cheap or um not important work really Mm -hmm. um and i think by giving it that context and really bringing in the historical components through its development and kind of where all those things in line with how it's progressing, how it's developing, what we're starting to see as well as how it impacts the people who consume it. Um, I'm hoping are starting to like break down some of those misconceptions and misunderstandings about it and are allowing for more 
context and more nuance and things to be brought to this often underappreciated um, art form. Okay. okay, very cool, Sean. Uh, my takeaway from this is, uh, Damien and Ed, you have a really hard job. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> we bring it on ourselves and we don't get paid so yeah there's so that. there's and, that yeah and and you brought us on to make it even harder i <laughs> i don't know i'm worried about you guys <laughs> i might take away we're fine <laughs> plenty, <laughs> plenty of people are but you're not <laughs> not not for the reasons you're talking about but plenty yeah. of people are um so brought on two neurodivergent dorks to talk about one of their hyperfixations so that has yeah, a well, long yeah. running history. Yeah. Yeah. Godspeed. Yeah. Cool. So uh next round is whatever we're plugging. Uh, uh what are you recommending first? I will I that's that's what I meant. Um oh, oh, I will I will like, yeah. Yeah. No, I will uh strongly recommend uh as yet more homework in preparation for me talking about cyberpunk. Um it's going to be a big part of what I talk about. Uh, so I strongly recommend if you haven't done it already, find a copy, probably go to your, well, I don't know, maybe not your local library, but if they have one, great. Uh, find a copy of uh, Masamune Shirao's The Ghost in the Shell. The the manga, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not recommending you go out and try to watch any of the anime or the, especially not the live action film. Um. Not because like I poo poo the live action film, but because of what I want to talk about. Um, the preparation is is I want you to go to the source. Um, it is a visually amazing and very 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 thoughtful examination of a lot of the tropes that uh, come up when you are talking about cyberpunk. Um, it dates to 1998, so it's late enough that Shiro had the opportunity to really see the genre in the beginning and really comment on it uh, in his work. So find it, check it out. Cool. Uh, let's go reverse order. Sean, what are you recommending for people? I'm going to uh, go with a piece of fanfic for everybody because I feel like it's a apropos uh this is an unusual uh choice i think uh it is alexandra quick and the thorn circle by inverarity uh i-n-v-e-r-a heck heck of a thing for me to pronounce it is uh a harry potter fanfic in the most loose sense imaginable in that it takes place in the same universe but it is entirely set in, in the united states and follows entirely different characters through very much the same arc of discovering your, uh, in this case, a witch, and uh, going to a magical school. But other than that, it's completely unrelated uh, and very much um, a product of looking at mm -hmm. the history of um, uh, the... Uh, conquest of of uh of uh north america and, and uh, uh central and south america by european powers and what that's led to and and the kind of the the there's just so much to it it, it reading it you immediately where, go where can we find it you can find this on fanfiction.net 
There we go. Uh, but quite frankly, you'll find it's all a complete series or the number of novels. Mm -hmm. And reading it, you'll immediately go, wow, uh, J.K. Rowling really did no homework, did she? I have things to say about that woman and her. <laughs> not even not even all the shit that's that's the lowest hanging fruit, but just exactly that thing you're talking about. And I'm going to bite my tongue real hard right now. Perhaps we'll bring her up for dinner on the next show. Uh, Tessa, mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to recommend for us? I'm actually going to save my Harry Potter fuck J.K. Rowling fic for the next one because it's actually awesome. quite well known. So. There's okay. probably a lot of people that have read it, but I'm going to save that one. And instead, I'm going to bring um, a personal favorite of mine that was written by a very dear friend by um, in one of the fandoms I'm currently in. Um, and regardless of whether you've read the books or not, um, I highly recommend Sword of Mages Tattoo. The author is Rue Badley. Um, they're one of my all-time favorite fake writers. They have a just beautiful author's voice. Um, and they're just very gentle with their their romance, um, and they're just they've got such a loving author voice. I just it's just delightful. It's like a warm cup of tea. Um, it is in the carry on fandom. It is the first fic I read in that fandom, and uh, they like I said, wonderful person, absolute delight. Um, and it's just, it's a very lovely example of alternative universe um, utilizing characters, but just going really deep um, and just, just making the most adorable little relationships that just make you feel so delightful. Like you just feel joy reading it. There's no suffering. Nice. All comfort, no hurt. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. It's on AO3. Okay. Thank archive you. of our own excellent all right so um damien where can we be found uh well you can find us on the apple podcast app you can also find us on stitcher and spotify uh and if you don't want to go to any of those you can stream us directly from our website geekhistorytime.com uh so that's where you can find us you can also find us on twitter at geek history time uh, if you feel like swimming through a pool of turds to reach out to us, um, just take a shower afterwards. Um, I myself can be found uh, on, let's see, this as as the time that this airs, let's say that you will be able to find us on the May 5th. And if that's already happened, the June 2nd show of Capital Punishment um, at uh, Luna's in Sacramento. Uh, bring 10 bucks, bring a mask uh, and uh, bring proof of vaccination because it's still ongoing uh but you will find all kinds of wonderful puns being sung there we've got some really good lineups coming up uh so come check that out uh and that's that's about all the places you can find me ed where are you gonna be okay found? all right well i am a shadow in the warp do not try to find me cool. um yeah uh, <laughs> but, uh, we collectively, of course, you're listening to this podcast. So you found us somewhere, whether that's on our website at www.geekhistorytime, uh, or, uh, if you found us, uh, on Twitter at, uh, geek history time there, uh, or, uh, on Stitcher or the Apple podcast app, no matter where it is that you found us, please do our guests. Don't do it for us do it for Sean and Tessa because they've put in the work. Uh, give us the five star uh, rating that, you know, they have earned. See what I did there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, please make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. 
And I think that's it. Until next time. Well, actually, let's I'm at Blaylock. Let's uh, Sean. Is there anywhere oh, yeah. you want to be found? Sorry. Ed, Ed oh no! I, how to I'm trying to be. Guests. I'm trying to be even. <laughs> I'm trying to be even less of a, a, a of a presence in the warp than uh, than Ed is. As you like. Cool. And uh, Tessa, is there anywhere you want folks to find you? Don't find me. I'll find you. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Now, Ed, go for it. There we go. Okay. Um, and so uh, this is Ed Blaylock. Uh, for Geek History of Time, and my partner is... I'm Damien Harmony, and until next time, keep rolling 20s.